A couple of years ago, I was reading a book uh, by um, Philip Jenkins, and he, he, the book was called new, The New Christendom. And he talked about how the gospel is kind of spreading all throughout the global uh, south and Africa and in Asia, which is a little bit misleading. So when you hear the global south, that God is really moving among the global south, just be very cautious because there's a lot of Christian growth in Africa and in Asia and South America, but a lot of it is the prosperity gospel, and it is, it is heresy. Right, uh, and he he marked okay who who was growing in this global south, and one of the things he, he marked was um, he didn't make the resurrection a mark of Christianity. So he says that there's this new Christian, the Christian is growing, but he wouldn't use the the resurrection as a mark of Christianity. And one of his reasoning was is most of the churches that are growing in the global south are independent; they're not connected to a, a historic Orthodox church. And he said by 2050, 50 percent of all congregations in um, the world will be independent. I mean, they're not going to be tethered or tied to a historic uh, Orthodox church. And when I say a, a historic Orthodox church, I'm thinking the Presbyterian church, the Methodist church, the, the Baptist church, a church that has doctrine, history, and, and roots. And that is very troubling. Uh, I've, I've done a lot of membership interviews uh, over the last few years, and one of the questions I always ask is, do you know the difference between a Baptist and a Presbyterian? Do you know the difference between a Methodist and, 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 a, and a Presbyterian, or a Methodist and, and a Baptist? And, and most of the time they say, no, well, I went to a non-denominational church. Well, what did your non-denominational church believe in terms of its polity? Did it have a plurality of elders? Was it elder-led or elder-ruled? Did it believe in, in congregationalism? All these questions that were in, in years past were very common to Baptists. Um, they had no clue. So, over the next three weeks, all I really want to do is just kind of do three different Baptist distinctives. What makes a Baptist church a Baptist church? Now, I believe that uh, in Baptist doctrine, uh, that's why I'm a Baptist pastor. So, I believe that the, in my own personal uh, journey, I grew up Lutheran. Uh, I went to a Presbyterian church in college. I've been to Methodist church, a non-denominational, Assemblies of God. Uh, but the more and more I studied the scriptures, the more and more I saw the way the Baptists lay out um, uh, their church is more consistent with the New Testament. So I became a Baptist by conviction rather a Baptist by birth. Sometimes we think what a Baptist is is a Baptist by, by tradition or by style, right? I am a Baptist because I like this kind of music. I dress this way. I use this Bible. I have a church that's decorated in this, this, this way. This is a Baptist church. Well, I'm a Baptist by conviction. I believe the greatest thing the Baptist church has given the world is their love of the Bible. And the Bible wants to drive all things. So, what does it mean to be a Baptist? Today, uh, we really want to think about one of the, the marks of being a Baptist is regenerate church membership. Regenerate church membership. And I know it's a Sunday night, you're like, man, this is such a riveting topic. Please go on. Listen, this is one of the most important things for us as a congregation because it's under attack all throughout our, our denomination. There's a lot of churches who are moving away from uh, a regenerate church membership to an open, mem open membership, right? It's, it's, it's something that we should be very well aware of. Uh, Charles Deweese, a scholar, says this, is that a direct relationship exists between regenerate church membership and the five other areas of Baptist life. Church covenants, ordinances, church discipline, evangelism, and small groups. Uh, Justice Anderson writes of the, of the regenerate church membership is the cardinal point of Baptist ecclesiology and logically the point of departure for church polity. What regenerate church membership means, it's a fancy way of saying the church is full of believers. 
That's it. Regenerate means that someone who has been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. They've confessed their sins. They've turned from, like, like, Dan, like Dan did that night, he repented, he turned from his sins, and he trusted in Christ. He was baptized to show the world that he was on, on, on the Lord Jesus' team, believed in his death, burial, and resurrection, rose out of the water and, uh, as, as, a, as a confession. Well, that's really all, all we're getting at tonight. But the church is for believers. So a couple of questions we want to ask. Number one, who is the church? Number one, who is the church? Uh, the church is for believers. It's very clear throughout the, throughout the scriptures, the church is for believers. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. It's the first place in the New Testament that mentions the church. If you remember, Jesus was walking around with his disciples, and uh, they looked at him, and they and and, and um, they asked Jesus asked them, "Who do the people say that I am?" And he says, "Well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say the Messiah." And Jesus stopped and he looked at his disciples and said, who, "What about you? Who do you say that I am?" And Simon Peter responded in verse sixteen of chapter sixteen. Simon Peter replied, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're going to look at this more in depth next week, but just want you to notice one thing. It says, Jesus says, I will build my rock on Peter who confessed Jesus. So the church is built on the confession Jesus is Lord. But it's also built on people who believe that confession. The church is built on confessing believers. So as we, as we go throughout the New, the New Testament, what do you see again and again in the general epistles, the, epistle, the Pauline epistles? You see the, the, uh, the church being addressed. So just, if you have your scriptures, just turn with me um, to 1 Corinthians. We're just going to kind of walk through the beginning of all these, uh, these books. Start, actually, start with Romans. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 7, it says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints. The word saints comes from the, the, the Greek word hagios, or holy, or holy ones. They are the, the holy ones, the set-apart ones, the sanctified ones. We go again to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter, chapter 1. Uh, chapter 1. To the church of God that is in, in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be the saints together with all those in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And you see this trend going out throughout the epistles that the letters are written to the church. And the church is usually always identified for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or who are sanctified, those who are set apart by, by grace, the holy and faithful brothers who are in, in Christ. So, in the New Testament, how do we identify those who are sanctified or those who are holy or those who are, who are faithful or set apart? It's always baptism. It's a profession of faith. It's repent and be baptized. Baptism was the mark where everyone said, I publicly believe in, in Jesus. There is no um, reference to any baptism of infants in, in the New Testament. The, the, our Presbyterians used it as, as a mark of silence. Uh, usually around the 3rd or 4th century, things started changing and the church started universally accepting um, infant baptism. But remember, in the 3rd or 4th century, uh, one of the reasons 
it started moving towards infant baptism was one of the greatest theologians, which I think he was wrong on this account, St. Augustine uh, of Hippo, started arguing for a mixed church, that the church is full of Christians and the church is full of non-Christians. And it's interesting because how he argues, he argues so passionately and vehemently for a, for a mixed congregation, he had to prove himself. It wasn't universal during his day that everyone thought that was right. But Augustine has kind of looked back as, as one of the greatest theologians of his era. And because of that, he was just kind of adopted, his view was kind of adopted for the next 800 years, right? Really up until the, the Reformation. Because during that time, people were biblically illiterate. They did not understand and read the Bible. One of the driving passions that I have, even the whole point of this, this morning's message about practicing spiritual disciplines, is that the Church of God here at Park Baptist would know their Bibles, would know their Bibles and love their Bibles and read their Bibles and rejoice in studying their, their Bibles. We don't want to be a biblically illiterate church because most churches in America are. That's why they don't know the difference of, of certain doctrines. Now, is, is knowing these kind of things that important, Pastor? Yes. Why? Because Jesus says that we should, or Paul said um, in, in, in 1 Timothy 3, that we should know how, to, how we ought to behave in the household of faith, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. How we organize our church, how we set it up, is, is a picture to the, to the outside world of our God, who is a God of order. Our God is not a God of chaos, he's a God of order. So, all that to say is that the when people became Christians, when they turned away from their, their sins and trusted in Christ, they were baptized into one body, by the one spirit. So if you're here, first of all, and, and you are not a Christian, first of all, hey, we are welcome, we're glad that you're here. Uh, but there is a, a question that I would propose to you. Have you considered making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? As the question that was proposed to Dan, have you ever repented? Have you ever turned from your sins, trusting primarily in yourself for salvation, trusting in, in your own works, trying to be in control of your own, own life? Or have you turned from that and trusted in Christ alone for salvation, for his death upon the cross, for his resurrection on your behalf, and then one day him coming in? Have you believed and trusted in that for your, for your life? Well, that is why we, we, we want to order our life. We want to order our life around that gospel so that everything we do beautify or adorns the gospel. We've been looking at that at, in, uh, in, in, in Titus on Wednesday evenings, that we want to live our life in such a way to beautify or adorn the gospel, to make it attractive. So why is this important? Why is this important? Um, well, I think it's important for a lot of reasons. Okay? What time is it? Let me just give, give you a few. Number one, a regenerate church membership um, is preceded and guarded by believers' baptism. More and more churches, more and more Baptist churches or Baptist, Baptistic churches will say we have open membership, meaning that if you were um, sprinkled as a child, right, and you come to membership in the church and you've never been baptized, you've never been immersed upon profession of faith, baptized upon profession of faith, that you're welcome to join the congregation. So the, a lot of churches are becoming very confused. What does it mean? What does it mean to be a believer? How do we identify ourselves as as Christians? Well, the Bible says that the clear mark of a Christian is baptism, is we repent and we're baptized. It's the first command. Jesus says, "Go into all the world to make disciples, doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all the things that the Lord has commanded." Listen, we are called to to baptize. That's what Peter said, repent and be baptized, even his epistle. Uh, baptism is an appeal to God for a clean 
clean conscience. Right? Now, does baptism save you? No, baptism does not save you, so don't mishear me. But it is a sign of obedience. So if you want to be a follower of Jesus, guess what? When you choose Jesus, all your other allegiances fall. What Jesus says trumps everything else. Period. And I think what's happening in a lot of churches, they're like, well, do, does Jesus really mean that? And they're just being confused. And it's hard to be in a church where there's confusion on those very simple things of how are we going to govern ourselves. Now listen, I love our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, right? They are godly and I love them, right? They were actually strong in doctrine where a lot of Baptists kind of fell off the, off the face of, of the earth, right? Kind of shifted out to left field. So I love our Presbyterian brothers. And I, I would call them brothers and sisters in Christ. I think that we're going to see them in glory, right? Baptists do not own the corner of truth. But we believe in believer's baptism. And I'm going to talk more, I have a whole, whole, whole talk on, on the ordinances. Um, but we need to understand when people become, get baptized, what, what, what it truly means. It is, it, is, it is a profession of faith. Walking an aisle is not a public profession. Right? It's one way, but going in the waters and understanding what you're doing. So you can physically feel the water going down. That You're identifying with the death of Christ. That if you stayed under the ground, that you would die. And you raised to, to show that you have a new life in Christ, and now you are commanded to live a new and, and righteous life. Number two, it's the basis of our church government. So the reason why a lot of Baptist churches have fallen apart is because they have not practiced regenerate church membership. Here's why. The final authority in the Baptist church is the church. Well, why? Well, because the church is full of people who are born again by the Spirit of God. And we think that the, the Spirit of God that dwells in, in you will lead in God the congregation to make the best choice. Well, what happens if you have people in your pews who are members of your church who are not born again by the Spirit? People who are, who are worldly, who are carnal, who do not care about the things of God. Well, eventually they're going to make decisions that are going to dishonor the Lord. They're going to call pastors who, who tickle the ears to, to tell them what they want to hear to suit their own desires and passions. It is, it is a very dangerous thing. It may not happen in that first generation. But the more and more you allow people who are not saved to be part of your congregation, there's a slippery slope. And eventually, you have a church making decisions that are not very like a church. Because it's full of people who are not a church. Just think about what we saw in Revelation, that progression that we saw in those seven churches of, of Asia. So if we lose regenerate church membership, we lose our form of church government. And what's happening in a lot of Baptist churches is they are moving away from a congregational form of church government, meaning the final authority is in the church, and they're moving toward an elder-ruled church, meaning the elders make all the decisions and just tell the church. That's where a lot of people are moving because they realize the church is not full of Christians. So if we lose regenerate church membership, people who are the church is full of believers, we lose our form of church government. And I think, lastly, it's a prerequisite for effective church discipline. How are you going to discipline people um, if they're not Christians? The, 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 the reason why regenerative church membership kind of fell away in the Baptist life is because Baptists stopped holding each other accountable. Someone would say, yes, I'm a Christian. They would join a church. Well, then that person who, who said they were Christian would start becoming uh, addicted to alcohol. And they'd be drinking, and they'd leave their spouse. And what would the church do? Well, I guess we can't, you know, we should just be kind, I guess, and just ignore it. 
Instead of saying, you're dishonoring the Lord. Repent. If you continue to live as a drunkard, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Repent. And Baptists became tired of holding each other accountable. So what happened was there was no clear line of, of church discipline. The only way that we can have effective church discipline is if, if people who, who join the church who are Christians, we tell them off the bat that this is what's going to happen if you walk away. So let me just do a, a few things on terms of how do we recover this idea of re- regenerate church membership and how do we do it here, right? How, why do we want to do this? And, and, and so who's the church? Why is it important? And then how do we recover it? Number one, we want to have meaningful church membership. We want to work and strive in this congregation to have membership actually mean something. So not just to have a long list of people on a roll, but to have a, a list of people who are covenanted together to hold one another accountable, to pursue Christ together, to pray for one another, to love one another. Right? We want, we want to have depth in our, our, our relationships. Um, so one of the ways that we, we, we have meaningful membership here is that we guard the front door of the church. So when I presented both Moses and um, Kristen and, and Mark to you today for, for membership, I, I knew their testimony. It wasn't like they just came down and said, hey, I want to join the church. No, I, I vetted them. I met with them. I asked them tough questions. I wanted to make sure that they were Christians, right? Uh, so that, and I, I told this to them, I said, listen, this is a promise to you that, that anyone who joins the church, one of the elders is going to meet with them and make sure they're believers because part of our job is to protect the flock. Because if you allow people to come to the church who are not Christians, it's going to hurt the whole body. A little yeast can leaven the whole dough and it, it, it can destroy a congregation. We want to guard that, that front door. But two, we need to open the back door, right? So this is kind of where we're heading in the life of a church. When we voted to pass our constitution back in August, what you did is said, listen, we care about membership. This is our church covenant. This is how we want to live. And we are going to open the back door so that your people are going to choose not to live by the church covenant by attending church, by not forsaking the gathering together of the saints. You know, we're going to have to excommunicate people because they've, they've no longer taken communion with the Lord they're no longer taking communion with the church. So how do we know that they have communion with God? We don't. There's no visible signs that they, they know Christ. So we, in, 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 in pain, as if someone is dying, grieving, have to let them go for their own soul's sake. Because one day they're going to stand before the Lord. And we don't want them to hear, away from me, you wicked servant, I never knew you. We want them to know that you may have been church your entire life. You may think that you had an experience with God. But do you know the Lord? The only way that you know that you know the Lord is if you're walking with Him. And if you love Him and if you cherish Him. And visibly, if you're taking the Lord's Supper to say, Yes, I proclaim by faith that you died for me, that you rose for me, and you're coming back. That's what we do when we take the Lord's Supper. So one of the ways we've done it here is, number one, we, we have a church covenant. Uh, so, Lord willing, this year, every time we take the Lord's Supper, I'm going to read the church covenant, or we're going to read it together, or people in our congregation are going to read, read parts of it, just so that we can know this is our commitment, that we are committed to hold each other accountable. And, and, and listen, beloved, that is not anything new. <laughs> Baptists have always had church covenants. So sometimes people say, well, why are you doing all that church covenant? It seems weird, right? It doesn't seem very Southern Baptist. It is very Southern Baptist. It is from the very foundation of Southern Baptist life. We just have forgotten our history. Two, like I said, we do membership interviews. Three, new members classes. Right? We want to actually teach people what we believe. 
So I've done that different times where I've kind of taken a season and let's teach through the, the life and doctrine of the church. This is what we want. We are as Baptists. We have to, have to believe in regenerate church membership. Now, these, all these ideas, these three kind of heads, regenerate church membership, congregationalism, and then the ordinances are all kind of weave, woven together. Okay? So today, I just kind of wanted to kind of, kind of prime the pump a little bit and say, listen, regenerate church membership is important. And if we believe, if we don't take care of who we are as a, as a, as a body, people who, who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and they do that visibly by, by baptism and who've covenant together, if we don't make sure that the church is full of believers, everything else falls apart. That's why I think for me, um, I, I would disagree with Methodist, Presbyterian, um, even a lot of non-denominational churches of how they organize their church. How we organize, how we structure our church is important uh, because we represent the living God. We are the household of the living God. And everything we do should be reflected in such a way, with such honor, that we would adorn the gospel of Christ. That people would see our relationships, see our doctrine, but not just see our doctrine, see the orderliness of our, of our body and say, God is here. God is present. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for uh, him giving us his word. God, we thank you for the, the fountain that flowed through his bloods. Uh, God, that we would um, be saved and redeemed. God, we pray as we think about church uh, doctrine and often church that a doctrine can sometimes seem um, hard or hard to understand. Uh, God, I pray that we would see the value of it, that we as a church would strive to be a church who believes in Baptist principles because they're Bible principles. We pray, God, that we would fight for a meaningful membership, that the world would know that we belong to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.